Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God for our meditation this morning is today's first reading from 2 Samuel 11, and we'll hear again these words. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. This is the word of our God. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, one summer afternoon, a young boy was swimming in his backyard pool with one of his friends. And those two boys were just having a ball. They were pretending that they were driving around on a submarine, fighting their enemies. At one point, the young boy decided that he should get out of the pool and start the submarine. So he jumped out and he stood there on the wood deck, dripping wet, and he stuck a key into the ignition. Except it wasn't a key, it was a screwdriver, and it wasn't the ignition, it was an electrical receptacle. He got quite a jolt, and once his parents realized that he hadn't died, he got quite a tongue lashing from them. They were very upset with him. This boy was moved by all this. He never forgot it, and for the rest of his life, he had a very healthy fear and respect for the perilous power of electricity. My friends, sin is perilous and powerful too. Now the devil wants us to think about this completely differently. The devil wants us to be very nonchalant about sin. He wants us to think of it as no big deal. But our God wants us to take sin very seriously indeed. He wants us to have a good and healthy fear of it. In the portion of his word before us this morning, our Heavenly Father gives us a stern but loving warning. He basically says, look, don't play around with sin. The familiar story of David and Bathsheba tells us that sin is dangerous and deadly and that finally it must be confessed to a forgiving God. Over the years, there have been many in Hollywood and other places who have thought of this story as kind of a, a love story. Uh, these two people who came together. It's not a beautiful love story. It's a sordid tale of murder and adultery. It's proof that sin is not to be played around with. Let's review the details of the account of David and Bathsheba. Now, everything was really going swimmingly for David. Everything was great. Most of the enemies of Israel had been conquered. Uh, it was an unprecedented time of peace and plenty and prosperity. But as you know, such times can be very dangerous. You see, during times when we're experiencing trouble in life, it's then that we are going to our God. We're listening to his word. We're on our knees in prayer. We're spiritually on guard. But it's during the really, really good times that we can let our guard slip. And that seems to have happened here. David was just kind of laying around, enjoying the good life, enjoying all of his successes. And that's when the devil pounced. David's wandering eye one evening caught the sight of a beautiful woman at bath time. Now, he could have turned away from that sight. He could have confessed his lust immediately and just moved on. But he didn't do that. He kept looking. He let his thoughts linger on that beautiful woman, so much so that he sent a servant to go and find out about her. And the servant told him who she was. This is Bathsheba the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. You can almost hear that servant pleading, Your Majesty, don't do this. It's not worth it. It's wrong. 
But David didn't care. He sent for her, had her brought to the palace, and he slept with her. And what did it matter? After all, he was the king, and doesn't the king usually get what he wants? Well, she became pregnant. And things only went downhill from there. David knew this was wrong. When he woke up with another man's wife in his bed, again, he should have confessed it right then and there. But instead, he did the opposite. He did everything that he possibly could to cover up his sin. His first thought was this. How can I make everybody think that the baby is Uriah's? And so he sent for Uriah, had him brought in from the battle lines, encouraged him to go and spend time with his wife, hadn't seen her for some time. At one point, he even resorted to making Uriah drunk so that he would do this. But Uriah drunk seemingly had more integrity than David did sober. He was a man of honor, and he simply thought, with my my brothers in arms out there in the field fighting the battles, I can't possibly go and enjoy the comforts of home. Again, just witnessing that, David should have been shamed into confession. Instead, he stooped even lower. He thought, okay, this isn't working. I've got to get Uriah out of the way. And so he wrote an order from the king for Uriah to be left alone at a very difficult spot in the battle so that he would be killed. And talk about cold-blooded, my friends. David sent that order with Uriah himself. Uriah unwittingly carried his own death sentence. Well, sadly, it worked. He was killed in the battle and probably a number of other soldiers unnecessarily as well. David, I'm sure, put on a sad face for a while. And Bathsheba, she observed the the time of mourning that was prescribed in the law. But once that was over, David couldn't wait to make it official. He had her brought to the palace as his wife. And he must have thought to himself, boy, everything just goes my way. I fooled everybody. I got away with it. But then we hear these ominous words. The thing David had done displeased the Lord. Nothing escapes God's notice. You know, God had once referred to David as a man after his own heart. How far he had fallen. In this whole sordid affair, David came awfully close to losing his immortal soul. Now, the lesson for us today should be obvious, shouldn't it? Don't do this kind of thing. Don't do what David did. Don't play around with sin. And yet, my friends, we do exactly that. Day after day after day. I mean, Scripture gives us countless warnings about this. Just a a few examples. If you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall, Scripture says. Scripture also says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Scripture says, flee from sexual immorality. God practically hits us over the head. Don't be cocky. You're not as strong as you think you are. You're not immune to temptation. You're actually pretty weak, so stay away from that stuff. Take sin seriously. Kill your sinful nature. Fight against temptation. Run away. But far, far too often, my friends, we, we just don't listen. God says, run away from sexual immorality. But the devil says, oh, come now. A little innocent office flirtation, a couple of naughty pictures or videos on the internet. What's the harm in that? You're not bothering anybody. 
God says, know your limitations. Realize that you are weak and sinful. Don't, don't put yourself into situations where you're going to be tempted in your weakness. But the devil says, pish posh, you work really hard. You deserve to let your hair down. Have another drink and another and another. God says, watch out for greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. But the devil says, come on now, you've earned a piece of the good life. Don't worry about those other things like offerings and whatever. Enjoy yourself. And if you can't pay for it right now, that's okay. Just throw it on the credit card. You can pay for it later. God says in no uncertain terms, the wages of sin is death. But the devil counters, come on, sin's not that big of a deal. And besides, down here in hell, we're having a party. Now, who should we listen to? The answer is incredibly obvious, right? We sinners need to take this stuff seriously. We need to take the account of David and Bathsheba seriously. We need to listen carefully to our God's loving warning. We need to flee from temptation. But here's an important question, my friends. Where do we flee to? Well, we need to flee from temptation to the arms of a merciful and forgiving God. We need to flee again and again and again to the cross of our Savior Jesus Christ. For a long time, for at least nine months, David failed to do that. He kept his sin bottled up. He didn't confess his sin. And in the psalm, he writes about what life was like for him during that time. He says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. David was miserable. Guilt was eating him alive. But then a merciful God intervened. God sent David someone. He sent the prophet Nathan. He sent Nathan to call David to repentance. You remember that story. You remember the story that Nathan told David. He talked about a rich man who had everything, lots of flocks and herds. The rich man had a visitor come to him. But instead of taking one of his thousands of animals to prepare a meal, he went instead to his poor next-door neighbor, a man who had only one little lamb, and that lamb wasn't part of a herd or anything. It, it was in his house. It was his pet. It was beloved by his family. He stole that lamb from that poor man and prepared it and served it to his guest. You'll also remember how David reacted. David was miserably mad. He was so upset about this. He started pointing fingers, and then Nathan dropped the bomb on David. He looked at him and he said, you are the man. Finally, David was brought to confession. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. And what Nathan said to him next were, I think without doubt, the most beautiful words that David ever heard. Nathan said, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. David fled to the warm embrace of a forgiving God. And my friends, that's where we need to flee over and over and over again. Every day, every hour of every day. We need to flee again and again to the one who says, Take heart, your sins are forgiven. 
We need to flee to the one about whom the psalmist wrote, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. We need to flee to the one who left his throne in heaven, took on our flesh and lived humbly, walking in our shoes. We need to flee to the one who was always perfect, who never sinned, who fulfilled the entire law and did it in our place and gives us the credit for it. We need to flee to the one who went to the cross and poured out his priceless blood in payment for all of our sins and then rose again on the third day. The one who made that sacrifice of infinite value. This is how Peter described it. He said, It was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. My friends, in Christ, in his priceless blood, and at his cross and empty tomb, we find the forgiveness that we sinners so desperately need. And you know something? We get something else as well. With that forgiveness comes the strength, the power, the desire to heed our Heavenly Father's loving warning today. Scripture encourages us with this promise. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. We're all going through the same thing. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. My friends, we can never get away from temptation completely. When temptations come, and they will come, God gives us the strength to resist. He provides a way out for us, and that way out is Christ. When Satan says, find your happiness at the bottom of a shot glass, Jesus counters, find your happiness in me, who drank the cup of suffering right down to the dregs for you. When Satan says, you'll only be fulfilled if you have lots and lots more stuff, Jesus says, find a full and eternal life in me and in the forgiveness that I won for you. When Satan says, purity is for losers, you need to get out there and get dirty to have some fun. Jesus says, my purity counts for you. Now, in thanks, live a pure and holy life for me. My friends, as we daily flee to our Savior's cross, we will find there the strength and the desire to live for him. So I have a confession to you this morning. The boy that I described earlier in the sermon, that was me many, many years ago. I will never forget that day or that jolt or the tongue lashing I got from my parents. Uh, It was quite an experience. And ever since then, I've had an interesting relationship with electricity. I will tackle some small electrical projects in the home, but I'm always very, very careful to make sure that the power is turned off. And even then, I'm still not quite so sure. That shock I received all those many years ago taught me an important lesson. My friends, we've all been shocked by temptation. We've all been burned by sin. So let's heed our Father's loving warning today. Let's flee from temptation. Sin is not to be toyed with. It is to be avoided at all costs. And most importantly of all, it is to be confessed to a forgiving God. My friends, what joy and strength, what peace and power we find in his forgiveness. Amen.